Father, this morning we do have this passage of Jesus going into Nazareth, and people ask the questions, well, who is this? Where did he get all this? We know he's just a carpenter. You know, carpenters, they, don't, they shouldn't have all this wisdom, or they shouldn't be able to do all, this, all these mighty deeds. Who is this? Well, we know his family. When they named the four brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, these are not biological brothers, but we know in Aramaic there is no word for brother but, or for cousin. And so uh, because family units were so extended and so close, they usually called somebody who was a cousin brother. And we do know, for matter of fact, just as a little, little uh, apologetic, James and Joes later are named as sons of another woman. Maybe we know this, but you only have one mother. So it's not their biological brothers, but rather we know his extended family. We know his, his cousins. Aren't they here? Where did he get all of this? And notice they think they know so much about him that they're not able to allow him to be who he is. They think they know so much about him that he's unable to do anything and notice, like last week, we had uh, the, the woman who comes, comes up and touches the hem of his clothing, seeing, seeing if I just touch. He doesn't even have to be aware when power goes out of him, but he does have to have the person's faith in order to do something. And here, he's unable to do much of anything because he does not see them. Perhaps, a, to use a medical term, perhaps what's happening is they're inoculated, inoculated just enough against the Lord to be able to not receive him as he truly is. They're inoculated just enough that they cannot allow him to be Lord of their lives. And of course, we know after the fact, after the death and resurrection of Jesus, the apostles go out, they proclaim the gospel, and eventually Nazareth does become faithful. But it took that. It took some time, and it took them to be able to suspend what they believed about Jesus, to not hold on so tightly, so dearly to what they thought, but rather to receive him as he was. Perhaps, more than perhaps, but I propose it, in the Gospel of St. Mark especially, we have Jesus telling those that he's healed, don't tell anyone. And perhaps this is precisely the reason that he wants people to experience him for himself, who he really is in himself, not just because he heard about Jesus, but rather to hear it, to experience Jesus as he is, not just secondhand. And of course, that obligation disappears with the death and resurrection of Jesus, even though it's another gospel, the Gospel of Matthew. He tells us at the end, go forth, preach the gospel, baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and lo, I am with you until the end of time. Then that messianic secret goes away. But for now, Jesus wants us to experience him as he is. I found myself reflecting about this passage uh, this last week. I'm sure I'm not alone, but we all have loved ones that have left the practice of the faith, some who are perhaps lukewarm, and we perhaps have done whatever, we, whatever it is that we think we have to do in order to proclaim the gospel, and it just doesn't seem to help. It seems to fall on deaf ears. Maybe, maybe what's going on is they've been inoculated just enough to not receive. 
I remember an incident in my life. I was able to be in Jerusalem, and uh, one of the uh, shopkeepers, Murphy, I don't know where he got that nickname from because he was not Irish. He was Muslim. Murphy was a guy you went to if you ever needed anything or wanted to know the scoop, uh, wanted to know how much something would cost and where to find it. I don't know if he was involved in the black market. I don't want to know, but he was the guy. And so I and a classmate were there just talking to him because he was a fascinating man. His experience and his life experience was just wonderful. He was gracious and kind and giving. He even invited our entire class to his house once. That was an eye-opening experience for various other reasons. But as we were talking to him, we were there maybe 15, 20, 30 minutes, just having a nice casual conversation, and a woman come in, came in. She started immediately. Do you believe in Jesus Christ? Have you accepted him as your personal Lord and Savior? And she went on about five minutes. And I and my classmate were just kind of browsing and just kind of turned our attention away. And of course, it was hard not to listen in on this conversation as one way as it was. And after about five minutes, she turned to us and said, you have to talk to them this way. They just don't understand anything else. My heart leapt through my mouth. My jaw dropped. So we let her go on about a minute and then say, shopkeeper, how much is this? Oh, and she left. She wasn't even looking to buy anything. She was just trying to sell him Jesus Christ, but sold him in such a way that it turned him off, that he was going to hell unless he accepted Jesus Christ. After she had left and she was out of earshot, he said, you know, if everyone came into my shop like the two of you, I'd become Christian in a minute. But unfortunately, for every one I get of you, I get 10 of those. He was not rejecting Jesus as he is. He was rejecting Jesus as he had been proclaimed to him time and again. And just by a matter of percentage, we couldn't fault him. I started praying for him. He died about two years later, and I, I pray that God had mercy on him because, like I said, he did not reject Jesus as Jesus was. He re rejected Jesus because he had been inoculated against who Jesus Christ truly is. He had been told time and again, Jesus is just, of course, but Jesus condemns. If he had been told a little bit more, Jesus is God of mercy, Jesus is a just judge who loves us, I believe he would have become Christian in a minute. So it is for those of us with loved ones Perhaps we're not as harsh as that woman was at that day. Perhaps, though, with our loved ones, we just don't show the mercy of Christ. And maybe we have to find a solution. And I think we do have a solution in today's second reading. St. Paul says he, he was given a thorn in the flesh, and now theologians talk about what this is, whether it was a moral fault or uh, a physical ailment or a spiritual disease of some kind. Whatever it was, it's ultimately irrelevant because St. Paul left it irrelevant to us. He just says he was given a thorn in the flesh and he begged God to take it away from him. And what did God do? Three times told him, my grace is sufficient. His grace is sufficient. So often we forget that. God's grace is sufficient. And so when we are dealing with someone who has been inoculated against Jesus as he really is, to rely even more on the grace of God. 
So often we rely on our own selves. If I just come up with the right words, if I just come up with the right, the right phrase to, to bring this person, then we, we almost make the gospel a baseball bat instead of an instrument of grace and mercy and love. I think if we showed and demonstrated people more how God's grace is sufficient even for us, even in our sinfulness, even in our weakness, even when we are lost or seemingly lost, if God's grace is sufficient, we will draw more people, more back. When they're suffering, do we stand there and say, Jesus condemns you? I hope not. But hopefully we stand there and say, Jesus loves you. He wants to help you. And let me help you too. Because just as much as you are, I rely on the grace of Christ too. We rely on the mercy of God. This day, perhaps, let us not be so inoculated against Jesus that we cannot receive him, but rather let us receive the antidote of his grace, his mercy, his love, and then proclaim that grace, mercy, and love to all those who need it.